Welcome to Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups. You're listening to Theo Smith on the show for the people building HR and talent functions at Scale-Ups whilst moving at the speed of light. Hello, this is Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups, the show where we share hacks from the industry leaders that are building HR and talent functions at Europe's top scale-ups, whilst in mid-flight. This is the second part of our fintech series, which we zero in on challenges that you face, including hiring for quality versus quantity, culture first, and moving at the speed of light. Today we're joined by David Brer, CEO and co-founder of 11FS, changing the fabric of financial services. He's a top LinkedIn voice, all-around fintech nerd, and a great down-to-earth guest who says it how it is. David, welcome to the podcast. Amazing to have you on. Really appreciate you giving up some of your time. You're you're prolific within this space. Um, Love your content and uh, really just want to share some ideas and some concepts around talent, around your organization, around scale-ups, around the fintech industry. David, you just want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, my name is David Breer. I'm the CEO over here at 11FS. Uh, if you don't know us, then we're out there trying to improve the world of financial services, really. We we believe that actually digital has, has come about and really changed what it means to be a financial services player. And we're working with everybody in that ecosystem, whether it's big incumbent organizations, whether it's startups, whether it's uh, gigantic technology companies who want to get into financial services to really try and make the industry and, and the community around that industry better. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, but we'll we'll definitely unpack that as we go, hey? Definitely. So you've really shaken things up kind of in this space. And, you know, I, if you imagine, well, if I imagine kind of the financial sector, <laughs> the financial industry, you don't necessarily uh, automatically, normal human on the street, right, isn't automatically thinking, uh, you know, fast growth, um, you know, digital, you know, kind of way ahead of maybe other organizations, other scale ups. Um, but that's the case, right? Tell us a little bit about how you uh, created what you've created, um, how you do it, you know, how you remain kind of at the front uh, of this innovation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, we're not your typical sort of consultancy or technology company sort of doing it in the space, as you say, because um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of veneer, you know, there's a lot of veneer in in that side of things. When you when you look at management consultancies and consultancy companies or uh, technology providers um, uh, that it's more about sort of taking orders and doing what somebody wants you to do rather than actually having a, a really strongly held view of what should be done and the way in which it should be done, which is is much more akin to what we do at 11FS. So, uh, you know, I should say that's that's not for everybody. You know, there's we're definitely not the 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 perfect partner for everybody. But actually, for those people who really want to learn and really want to change, in order to really change their organization, not just feel like they're changing their organization. I say it's like the um, you don't go to a personal trainer. And then you uh, you watch them do all the press ups and the sit ups, right? You go to a personal trainer to get fit, right? And actually, in that setup, then you want to be able to make sure you're doing the right work. It's going to be hard work, but you've got to put in the work. So, I mean, from our perspective, when we started the company, so 11FS is uh, nearly five years old. Actually, we're five in two weeks' time. So um, at the beginning, you know, there was three or four of us, you know, myself, Jason, Simon and Ross, you know, sat around in a Starbucks cafe just off Spitterfield's market. And, um, you know, at the beginning of it for us, it was like, well, actually, look, we want to create a company that brings about industry change. You know, it's laughable, really. You know, there was four of us in a Starbucks and we're saying about industry change. But in the context of wanting to do that, then how you approach doing that has to be different. 
You know, we we didn't set out to create a smaller censure. We didn't create, a, you know, we didn't want to be a smaller version of McKinsey. You know, so how do you create differentiation in a market that's already crowded? Well, you actually have to stand for something. You actually have to uh, have a, a purpose-driven, values-based culture that actually makes the things happen. Um, and really, that's just what we set out to do. I mean, the other thing that we we actually had to do as well is, um, you know, you don't win by fighting fair in in these things. So from our perspective with four people, well, how do we create differentiation from gigantic organizations who can, you know, hire a marketing agency to take out a the West Wing of Heathrow to advertise the fact that they've just put a research report out. Well, what we did was take B2C tactics and apply them to growing a, uh, an international brand around a B2B construct. So for us, it was about, well, actually, how do we use social media? How do we use content? How do we show that podcasts and videos are the, the future for creating authentic content that actually has cut through? And uh, yeah, come back to where we are today from that point, then, you know, we've um, we've delivered some of the, the the best financial services propositions and are winning some of the biggest financial services work uh, in the world. We've got a, a podcast that's listened to you in 170 odd countries or a week. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I'd love to set, set back and say, to you that we had this grand plan that in Starbucks, we were like, yeah, we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this. It wasn't like that. We've been just been making what we think are good decisions as we go. Not all of them have been. Some of them have been bad. But actually, we've been able to to sort of keep moving forwards and bring the community and bring um, the capability that we need to together in order to build a business that we think is setting out to change the industry. Wow. So there's a couple of things you've mentioned there, which I think is fascinating and it kind of plays on my mind that you're, what you're doing is you're servicing this kind of old style uh, organization, financial services, highly regulated. You know, you think of money, you've, you know, this stuff's dangerous, right? In the sense that you get it wrong, there can be issues, um, it, it, you know, from these old big institutes. So how do you, as a kind of as a startup, as a scale up, how are you able to deliver within these kind of industries and remain kind of agile and fast and have your own kind of independent personality that is really distinctly different from perhaps what you've seen before within that industry sector or even what we see now amongst some other similar types of organizations that are trying to play uh, in a similar field? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, there's a few different ways to kind of answer that, really. I mean, actually... Um if you don't know what you stand for, you know, the, the whole thing is like, if you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything, right? And actually, if you if you create a, a value structure of what you believe, and therefore, the types of things that you will do, and, and for me, this, this doesn't start with uh, the type of work you do, it starts with the type of organization you want to be. So from our perspective, in terms of, you know, what are our, what do we value? You know, what do we what do we stand up for? What type of work do we want to do? What is the non-negotiable things that actually we won't work in an environment that does X, uh, or we won't work in an, uh, for someone who is like Y? You like actually being really clear about what these things actually are, uh, because really, like you've got to you've got to understand what your your most valuable resource is, and your most valuable resource is your people. So actually, the cons- this is where the I think the the imbalance often comes with with consultancy is. Uh, big consultancy organizations take people and put them into situations that uh, are not conducive to doing great work. Uh, and actually, most big organizations that are in financial services uh, are not really conducive to to do the types of work in the way that they want to do. And this is the, the almost the, uh, the paradox that they're in is that they have hugely high aspirations, you know, big organizations, massive uh, aspirations in terms of what they want to achieve, but they don't create an environment that is actually uh, able to support the sustainable pursuit of excellence when it comes to digital capability. So from our perspective, first and foremost, it's like, be really clear about what we stand for, be really clear about what we won't stand for, uh, and then actually being in a situation where we stick to that. I, you know, I should add, we've we've walked away from 
millions and millions of pounds worth of work because it wouldn't be done in the way that we think will result in the outcome. And it's easy to compromise on those things when you're a, a small company. It's easy to you know prof, uh, put profit and revenue above people or above culture. But for me, there is nothing that comes higher than that. You know, the culture of the company is the most important thing, uh, full stop. Not because I'm like such a nice guy, like, but it's actually because it's like, it's what makes your business successful. Like, and this, this is the thing that I think so many different organizations kind of lose on this stuff is they focus on the, the outcome, not the process that creates the outcome. And, and big companies get this wrong all the time as well. You know, they, you know, you've got Lloyd's Banking Group looking at Apple and going, well, their branches are amazing. You know, like wood floors and like nice people with polo shirts on, like maybe we should do that. And then they forget that the products haven't changed for 300 years. Therefore, well, suddenly you're giving away coffee and Wi-Fi, but your current account still sucks. You know, like so. So actually, if we really focus on our way. We focus on the 11FS way of making that these things actually happen. Because if you get process right and you get people right, then everything else comes with it. Brilliant. So, <laughs> so, you, so you've picked the right type of customer. Yeah, they get you, you get them. Maybe they're willing to give you some of the freedom and flexibility. But do you still find that some of the speed of that process, of that work, the team are energized, everyone's up for it, it's all going well. But does it ever kind of hit that wall? where you it then uh, it becomes frustrating, where it's difficult to keep the momentum and motivation of the team? Or do you think actually, if you've uh, structured it in the right way, if, you let, if you've organized that deal in the right way, actually that should never happen. There's a point of where you pass it over and you're able to maintain that speed. I mean, I mean honestly, like, um, I mean, don't, I don't think that's a client problem. I think it's a, it's a reality. Like this stuff is hard. Like if you want to, you want to build a, you know, you, you, you think there wasn't times uh, when, you know, Monzo was building Monzo or Oak North was building Oak North that there wasn't times where it was difficult and there was disagreements and there was, you know, heated moments like this stuff happens. Like if you get people together who are passionate about doing something like what's what's worse is like apathetic nature is when nobody cares, when there is not that, you know, if there is a frustration for me, that's actually because people believe there is a, a better way of doing those things and can make that happen and move those things forward. So, uh, you know, that's probably a very political way of saying it, but like, yeah, there are there are times where uh, I'd say very few clients that we've worked with are in a situation where they've done it in exactly the way that we would want to be doing it. But there's a reason for that. That's the reason why we're there, right? You know, actually we're there to help them understand why this stuff is important because actually it's financial services is, is an industry that has sort of lost its way a little bit with its why. Like it's a bit disconnected from customers, the the brutal realities of day-to-day lives in terms of what it is to be a, a normal human being out there on the street. Uh, and actually with that said, the technological revolution that's happened with, as part of the the advent of the internet and everything that digital has really left financial services arguably behind for you know best part of you know two or three decades uh, and really since 2008 and the financial crisis and the the increase of competition through fintech coming into the market it's only now that those big incumbent organizations are actually having to change because they've been able to resist change for you know, such a long period of time in the same way as like, you know, in a very, very long winter, then the people with the most hay in the barn can sustain it the, the longest. And these guys have got billions of hay in in the bank. Therefore, they're, they're able to sustain and resist that change for as long as they can. But now that there is real competition, there is the ability for people to you know, vote with their thumbs and, you know, go to a different bank and open a different account and, you know, the seven day switching process and move away from it. Um, then we're actually now really getting to the point where banks not only have to think about what they do to change their uh, customer facing capability, but if you want to attract the best talent in the world, if you really want to compete with people, if you really want to compete with the Monzo and a Starling and a Revolut, you've got to realize how they do it is because of the talent that they have in the company, not because they've released some facts or some features that, you know, customers can't live without. Um, and that for us is the change. You know, we're going from dumb analog products to intelligent digital services. And those intelligent digital services require a fundamentally different operating model to actually support them. It's about 
disseminating power to the edges. It's about allowing product managers to make good decisions about the things that they're doing from a product perspective. And what is required there is, is cultural change, it's technological change, um, but ultimately it's about, you know, if you have high aspirations, you've got to change what you're doing to achieve them. Uh, and we, uh, we get into all sorts of interesting places. I think the way that I combat that, you know, don't get me wrong, there's no way, uh, there's no customer that is out there that we work with that there isn't at times a, a point where we have to go, do you know what, we are going to have to make these changes for these things. But perversely, we're the most risk averse people. Actually, when you and, and really, this is what clients kind of say to us. It's like, why do why do we win bits of work from PwC and McKinsey? It's because we de-risk the process because we've done it before. Like, actually, if you if you stand up a, a lineup, you know, go to a pitch process and we're against a PwC or a McKinsey. And I can point at like you and uh, who was as, as delivered, uh, you know, you and Silver has delivered uh, nutmeg and you know, uh, and Betfair and Jason, who's done Starling and Monzo and and uh, Simon, who, you know, led blockchain R&D at Barclays. I'm like, what does your team look like? What have they what have they actually put in the market? Because unless you can de-risk that process by going, look, here's the ways that we didn't quite get this right last time. And this is where we, you can learn. And this is how we can do it better for you. Then actually, it's about people just making stuff up, right? Uh, and it's weird that you'd think actually us turning up in, you know, sneakers and hoodies would be the less risky way. But it really is like that. No, that's brilliant. So and I, I get that because I'm, I'm kind of in a in a similar place, you know, in terms of size of organization. Well, much smaller, but, you know, I get it. I get it, which is great. And, and it's nice to be the person who can just turn up as themselves. I like to define it. You know, we, we're bringing ourselves into that process. So this yeah. is good because, right, you've built it nice for me. I, I get where you're at. I get kind of your methodology, your approach. I want to get onto people. So mm -hmm. um, what I can see is um, you've you've taken a uh, you've taken a stance. You've taken this is our opinion. This is what we stand for. We're going to believe in ourselves, and we're not just going to believe within our four walls. We're actually going to take this out to the world. We're going to take it out via blogs, via content. We're just going to put it out there, and we're going to you know 100% believe in what we're about. Incredible. And you can see that. I look in the room behind you now. I see who you are, what you're about. And I see that level of um, that level of diversity. Right. So um, I want to get on to this because uh, you put a focus. Uh, something that's really important to you is kind of the values of the organization. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you uh, and you also mentioned uh, the uh, the I can't remember exactly how you may define it or strange or we're different or however you break it up, but you're, you know, come, come and be different. Embrace your weird. Yeah. 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 Weird. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is excellent. So how, what was that journey like um, to, to, and I say get to that point, like that point ends, which it doesn't, but what is that journey being like for you creating an organization that is clearly has its own personality, its own mindset, its own way of working, its own people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting in the, the sort of journey, you know, uh, journey is the right word, right? Because because these don't these things don't want to be wonderful, right? The the ideal scenario is like you have a great idea for a thing, you spend two years, you know, putting in place all the infrastructure and then you switch the you know light on and you start a business, right? It doesn't work like that. And nobody, particularly for us, I mean, we're we're 150 people, we're five years old. Uh, we're generating really good, you know, revenue in terms of what we're doing. We're a bootstrap company. Like we've taken no investment all the way through this. So, so there was no like, uh, you know, this is not football manager with like infinity money. This is like actually you're sitting down and trying to figure out how you initially like. Okay, the, we've managed to get a bank account. That was really difficult. It says there's no money in the bank account. So, like, how do we put some money in the bank account so we can do some things, right? And all of this is is essentially like trying to sing a song, blow up a balloon, uh, and probably like pat your belly and rub your tummy at the same time. You know, like you've got to do all of these things and figure them out, and it's it, it's difficult, right? Um, but on the on the people side of things, I mean, when you it, it's all part of none of these things are independent, right? You know, your people strategy, your vision, the mission of the business, the values of the business, none of these things are independent streams from one another. They are a, a, a holistic makeup that makes your culture and your culture makes your company. 
uh, and arguably your your culture should make your marketing uh, and that's what we try to live to because uh, the thing you you touched on it a little bit earlier on is I mean, I've, I, my background, before this, I ran Gartner's global digital banking practice. Before that, uh, I was at uh, Infosys, a big Indian offshoring company. Before that, Lloyd's Banking Group. Like, I've been a banker. I've been a, you know, a tech offshore person. I've been uh, a management consultant. Do you know what I mean? I've been all those things. And it's tiring. Like, I, I, I don't know if I could swear on this, this podcast or, or, or not. It's fucking tiring. Like, you were nodding. I'm good to go. So, do you know, it's like, actually, from, from my perspective, like, so all of those things, pretending to be something else to in order to learn those things, you use, like, 30 or 40% of your brain just remembering to act in a certain way. So if you can create an environment that actually allows people to uh, take uh, control and bring themselves to work, then you're, it's, again, it's just good business. You're freeing up 30% of people's brains to do more important stuff. It's like having a, um, a computer that's processor is constantly, you know, running hot, then everything becomes harder after that. So from our perspective, when we started out, like, you know, Simon, Jason, Ross, like, I could leave my kids with them for a week, and I know they'd be well kept. So, you know, actually, in terms of the the cultural alignment, well, it's really easy at the beginning, you know, and actually it's really easy because you're telepathic. And actually when you get to, you know, I, I remember like when you, I remember literally myself and Jason uh, arming and ahhing about, how, you know, a lease for an office that's smaller than the room in my house that I'm standing in now and being scared about it. Like, and, and gen, like genuinely that, that fear of the commitment of spend and everything that goes with it. Um, and that doesn't stop, you know, the, the changes that happen when you hire 10 people. Okay. Now the 10 people will, we've got to figure out communication and we've got to figure out how these things uh, get distilled down and communicated to people. Um, and it's interesting because the, the bigger you get, the, the problems don't change just the, the complexities of them change. Uh, and and I what I've sort of found is um, really running a running a sort of hyper growth business. The 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 number one thing that you've got to really be comfortable with is is being uncomfortable. Like and it, and it's and it's strange. It's a strange thing because you think you're you should be constantly in pursuit of uh, you know security or or safety or you know comfort, whatever it is. But but I really don't think it, I don't feel like it's like that. And and this is why I, I think I think you see a lot of companies do amazingly well for a year or do amazingly well for six months and then plateau because actually what they don't get comfortable with is staying in that period of discomfort. And for me, like this is where I live like this. I, I'm so comfortable with that chaos because actually uh, there is always going to be more things that you can deal with. There is always going to be more work than you don't know what to do with. Or there's always going to be a, a people thing that you've got to deal with or a, a business who's unhappy with you for something or whatever. Like there's always going to be that stuff. But that's signs to me of growth opportunities. Because if you can generate more work than you know what to do with, well, then you need to hire some more people. And then we hire some more people and we get bigger and we get bigger. And, we, and, and actually then suddenly five years later, you're, you know, you're, four businesses and you're doing four different things and you're in 15 different countries and you're you know like it's just it, it just is a it's an exercise in getting carried away but also an exercise in not getting carried away from an egotistical perspective um and i and i think the the people thing is really important because when you've got that commonality at the get-go then well it only gets to really um you know i found at the beginning, the the three things that were really sort of most important was that we believe digital banking is only 1% finished. And and actually, if you believe that, come join the, the Merry Band, let's go, we're going in that direction, right? Uh, and that was like our, our vision and our mission. It was easy to top, in fact, it made some brilliant stickers and everybody got a line behind it, right? Um, when it came to uh, what we believe, our values were very simple at the beginning. It was just all about getting shit done. It wasn't about anything other than that because it really, it, and it wasn't really necessarily about us. It was about financial services is an industry that struggles to execute. 
Uh, it, it's got great ideas, but it struggles to make it happen. And we're here to be the people to make it happen. And we've done it before and we can show you how it's done. So that kind of get shit done mentality was, was uh, you know, was was a, 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 a relatively, uh, you know, straightforward, uh, straightforward thing. And then the last one for, for me was was really about positive intent. Um, we set out a business that presumes positive intent. And actually, if you if you take that into everything, um, it's not about why are you acting like this? It's like, okay, there must be a reason why this is happening. And if you presume positive intent all the way through in the way that you interact with people, if you interact with your team, if you interact with everything else, it, it forces a level of empathy that actually I don't think is, is present in a lot of organizations. So, uh, you know, at those three points, those three points lasted us kind of three years. Um, you know, we had an overarching policy, which was don't be a dick. Um, and the other, that overarching policy of, of don't be a dick was, uh, was important because, um, it gave people the space to think about what that actually meant. Um, it's interesting. And I'd love your, your views on this one, but like, if somebody gives you a book of like, here's all the things you shouldn't do, it's like, you know, okay, here's all the things that I shouldn't do. But like this 95 things are not on it. Uh, so that, does, that, does that mean I can do those things? Whereas don't be a dick. It's like a, it's a proxy for, we trust you, use your judgment, which again, for me is a, is a trust thing. So, uh, you know, travel policy, it's like, how much money can I spend when I'm uh, traveling to Singapore to do some work? Uh, the answer is as much as you need. Therefore, when you decide, you decide as the person working at the company, what that is, well, you're making a value judgment based on what it is. And you will find that if you give people the space to make decisions that they that they can validate, they will make better decisions. If you just say, spend 300 pounds, everybody will spend 300 pounds and it will be high for some and low for some others. But actually, if you give people the, I, I call it gaps. If you give people the gaps to make intelligent decisions and take ownership of that decision, you inherently find people make better decisions. So, so these things lasted us three years, and 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 actually, you know, about the two and a half year mark, we were like, do you know what? We really should, you know, we we were at I don't know a hundred people at this stage, uh, and actually at that point, we're like, do you know what? We really need to write some of these things down and be more explicit. Like, what do we mean by that? How does it work? Um, and I think it's important. It's important to it's important to not care about these things to start with. Because if you spend too too much time trying to create your values at the beginning of the business, you forget to create a business. But also, if you create values at the beginning of your business, they are your hopes and your dreams and the things you hope happen. And that's not reality either. You know, you want them to be who you are, not who you aspire to be. So when we actually sort of sat down to to, to document, you know, so what do we what do we mean by that? Like, what's the What's the context for that? Like, how does somebody, you know, embody it? What, how do they behave in that way to, to show it or not show it? Um, then it was a, a, an interesting process, but we, we found it was more about documenting, as I say, documenting who we are rather than who we want to be. So, you know, our, our values-based system at that stage becomes, well, it's all about team. You know, so the first, the first value is all about success is a team sport. This is about being inclusive and selfless and and empathetic to the people that we work with uh, and actually for me uh, i should say my my background really is more about sports than it is business so for me everything that i bring into how we've set up 11fs is is as much about bringing sports psychology and sports thinking into into what we're doing as it is as it is anything else because when you look at the the ways that big businesses are run they spend more time thinking about their customers than they do their uh, their employees, but their employees are who deliver that stuff for their customers. So it's just it's paradoxically insane because actually, if you focus most of your time on your culture and your people, then actually you find the result of that is great. Uh, if you don't do that, you end up in chaos. So for us, you know, bringing again like a sports team, you don't hire a bunch of amazing players. And then go, yeah, I'll see you on Saturday. Just turn up and just figure it out. You know, like, uh, you know, somebody goes long, 
somebody in goal, I don't know, just figure it out, you know? Like, actually, no, you're very particular about how you build teams and how your tactics are and what you stand for and what you don't. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in uh, definitely giving people accountability and space to take decisions and make decisions, but you've got to you've got to be clear about what you you stand for and clear about what you don't stand for. So, from a values perspective, that you know, success is a team sport or a small team sport piece uh, for me is is super important. The other ones are about communication. You know, we are by by nature we're we're people who stand up and say that what we think. Um, but we do it in a, an empathetic way. We're super confident. We're super clear, and we're super transparent about what what we do. And the others are about attitude. As you you sort of mentioned this, it's you know we embrace our weird is the the attitude value because honestly, if you hire people who are weird about the thing that they do, you know, if you hire people who are uh, like we've got the weirdest CFO and like the weirdest like GC. Like they just love, she like Joe just loves finance and it's the thing that she's passionate about in terms of the the business and and doing that to her best of her ability ability is is what she's passionate about doing. Therefore, it's not just a job for her, it's something she she loves to be. You know, this is what she dreamt to be. And it's same for designers or engineers or podcast producers or whatever. Like actually, if you can find the job somebody is passionate about and the re the talent that they need to do it and allow them to do something that they love doing, then it becomes just such an easier world to live in. And then the last one for us is just about impact. Like we, uh, we punch above our weight when it comes to change, because essentially if we have the aspiration of the impact that we want to have on the industry and the change that we want to bring about, then actually we've got to continually be the, the David in the David and Goliath story uh, to, to kind of keep moving that metaphor forward. But, but for us, as like I say, when it comes back to all of these things, you know, well, that's nice. You know, there's a, there's a poster on a wall and uh, you know, a kind of a seminar like about it, but unless you're willing to hire, fire, train and reward on these things, they're meaningless. You know, we've seen many a big organization have, you know, lovely marble engraved foyers with their values on them and all of this nonsense. But unless you were fundamentally uh, willing to fire somebody from your business because they do not embody the things that you think is most productive on actually creating the best environment for your people, then it's all it's all nonsense and all meaningless. And people see through that stuff as well. You know, if you if you don't uphold these things when you say them, then people know that really quickly. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you were talking about the sporting analogy, and, and I'm thinking of like introducing somebody new to any sporting team, that um, can really affect the team, right? It can completely change the balance of that team. And sometimes you need to reorganise the positions people play in, right? And that's the yeah. reality. And, and us as an organisation of, of barely 10 people, we're looking at the values every time somebody new joins because that that's the level of impact that it makes. And that doesn't mean, to your point, that it needs to be this crazy thing of creating, you know, 20 values with all these detailed points around it. No, it's just, you know, saying, do we still think the same way that we thought before? Or does this person change the thinking yeah. and change the environment in the way we think? That's not a bad thing, right? It could be a great thing that they come in and they shake things up a little bit and, and that kind of evolves your thinking. So so I love the the kind of idea around uh, the, the team and that equally, as much as somebody can have a positive impact on that team, quite quickly, they could be the best player in the world. They could have a negative impact, right? Everybody's off balance. No, hang on a minute. Yeah. This person's not quite playing. Well, and, and that's, I mean, what I was going to say, I think, I think that's the hardest part is um, we've all been in an organization where we've, there's that brilliant dickhead. You know, like there's the, the, the person who is like just exceptional at that thing, but they are socially not aligned to the, the ways in which those things should be done. Um, and, I, and I should say, I mean, we, we've had that, you know, I've, I've been in a situation where that's, that's happened in the last five years and that's, that's really hard. Like, and dealing with that is really difficult, but, but unless you do deal with it, then you're, you're creating a, a shell of, you know, this is what I stand for, but I don't act on it. And it's like, well, no, actually, if you stand for these things, you've got to stand for these things, else they just become meaningless in terms of the approach to it. But I do really believe what you say there as well, though, is everybody you hire into the business are, uh, they're culturally additive. They're not, it's not about 
conforming. It's about aligning on a belief structure. You know, actually, uh, we say to people, it's like our values, our attributes, it's really about the, uh, the, the behaviors. It's like, what do we feel is important? You know, and when we say being inclusive, what do we mean by that? Like, so we, and you need to give people some guidance on it because, I mean, being really inclusive could be, well, okay, some people don't like to get up early and, um, and therefore, you know, actually as an inclusive environment, we're not going to schedule meetings before 11 a.m. And it's like, that's not what we mean by inclusive. Like that might be what some other people mean by that, but that's not what we mean. So, you know, defining what you are and what you're not is part of really allowing you to go, who am I going to hire? And actually, how am I going to provide an environment and a group of people that I know is going to be most successful? And really that comes back to, again, a, you know, from a sporting metaphor perspective, you know, best managers in the world realize it's about the players, not the not the, the manager, you know, and more than the players, it's about the team, not the players. So actually, how do you create that that dynamic within the team that it is a, a, a driving force? And you've often seen, you know, very, uh, you know, teams that might not be the most uh, completely gifted. And look at Leicester football team a couple of years ago, right? They played out their skins because they were dri- driven by a purpose and a common vision and some, you know, flair and talent mixed in there. But they were able to win the Premier League by by sheer determination at that stage in terms of the things that they were doing. So for me, I think it's a, you know, culture, values, all of these things, you know, you've got to embed them into everything that you do. And if you do that, really it's it's about positive momentum you know i think the thing um the thing that's often missed off culture uh, and and i again i sort of say this all the time it's like i'm not i'm not uh, i'm not here to make a good culture because i don't know what that means like I, I don't you know what is good and what is culture it's for me it's like i'm here to make a performance culture because i want to provide the best environment for people to do the best work that they've ever done in their lives and learn the most that they can ever learn. Because if I do that, they will be more productive for them and they will be happier, but they will be more successful for the business and the business will be more successful. Uh, and actually, I think gearing everything to that performance culture um, means that you need to, in the same way as in a, in a, in a, a sporting context, again, you know, performance culture in, in, in sports is all about understanding the metrics. It's all about hard work, but it's also about mind as much as body. It's about understanding that you you uh, you will uh, progress most at rest rather than during stress, uh, and actually sort of understanding all of these things, understanding that you know man management is best done one on one, and that performance management is best done every day. Then actually, all of those things and embodying all of those things in a business for me creates a a very different culture than than anyone that I've really ever worked in before. Brilliant. I'm really glad you said that um, because something that I'm quite passionate about is is the idea of um, giving people the, the tools, the opportunity to be their best selves, right? And I don't think we do do it. I think you're right. I don't think we do it in recruitment processes. I don't think we do it in onboarding. We have kind of rigid structures. You will adhere to X, Y, and Z because that's the structure we put in place. Not like, how can I get the best out of you? How can I let you show your best self, right? And people do want to. People want people don't want to look stupid. People don't want to uh, not be able to perform at their optimum. So sometimes when you when you say there, you know that that kind of the, the performance element, it can be misconstrued that you always want to push people. Or to their optimum, like it, like people want to be there, right? People, that's where you, you want to come to work and do your best work and have people go, hey, Theo, Absolutely. that was great, good work, right? You don't want people to go, ah, oh, you know, he's forgot to do X, Y, Z, he's not, you know, he's disorganized or whatever. Nobody wants that. So, uh, so, yeah. I, love, so I love to hear that. No, go on. Well, I was, I was going to say, and that that then balls back to that point that I was earlier, earlier on saying about positive intent, right? If you if you're confident in your hiring process, and we've we've done a lot of work to embed, uh, you know, I can talk to you about this if you're interested, but there's we've embedded our values into our hiring process to the point where we don't really even read CVs anymore. Like, and and actually, when you start getting to that point where you're really confident the people you're bringing in are culturally aligned. 
then if somebody doesn't perform, well, whose fault is that? So from, from my perspective, it's like, actually, you know, if, uh, I don't know, if Manchester United don't win the Premier League this year, who gets fired? Do the players get fired or does the manager? So actually being in a situation where I am now really confident, we've got a great team, we've got great individuals, and actually we've got great managers who can give them the support, understanding, the empathy and the the, uh, the the learnings that they need to in order to perform at the best level that they can do. It's why it's why we're 150 people and we're winning work from McKinsey. It's like you don't do that unless you're good. But being good is sort of not good enough in this in this industry. You've got to be great. And actually, I think it's that pursuit of greatness. You know, our um, our whole performance management structure is based on it of just like be better. Like if we focus always on trying to be better, if we always focus, and that's not, and, it, and it's interesting. If it, if I go to you, if I was your manager, and I was like, look, just be better. It's like no, that's not it. It's like how can we be better? How can we improve? Like we're awesome and this is great, but how can we think about the ways in which we can get better at this, either in the micro or at the macro, and move the organization, move your individual performance forward? Because by moving your individual performance forwards, then the, the holistic of the business gets better and better. It's why um, we spend a lot of time talking about the dif- you know big difference between coaches and managers, right? Managers do this. Uh, coaches, like, how can we improve? How can I support you? How can I help you? You know, and I think the more we embody um, macro management and coaching mentality, the better you find people step up to the plate and take advantage of those opportunities and and, and move forward. I should say again, it's it, it's not uh, in the same ways we're we're not for everybody to work with. We're not for everybody to to work at as well. You know, there are people who wouldn't like this environment who wouldn't you know, flourish in this type of environment. And we've got to find that quickly. And that doesn't make them bad people. It just makes them not right for us. And that's okay. You know, that is absolutely fine. But you've got to kind of be really honest about that. Because actually, the worst thing in the world is, uh, you know, I say it's it's not about trying to put square pegs in round holes, like you, you know, that there's resistance, you get it really quickly. It's when you try and put a, uh, a, a, a round peg in a square hole, that's where you've got to be really careful because you kind of don't know where the edges are in terms of them as a person and what to expect from them and where the problems really are. Um, but again, for, for us, it comes back to, um, you know, the criticalities around things like performance management. Uh, big businesses do it on a year. Uh, we do it weekly. And that sounds like a lot, right? You know, we're going to do performance management every week. It's like, that sounds like a lot of paperwork and administration and whatever. But it's like, look, if you want to be good at anything, you've got to do it frequently, right? If you, uh, you know, Theo, I'm like, hey, uh, nine months ago, you did that thing and it sucked. Um, And I didn't tell you till now, but it's going to affect how much you get paid next year. It's like, what the fuck didn't you tell me this like nine months ago? And then we could have talked about it and I could have helped or disagreed or got better at it. So, so for us, you know, it's again, it's little and often on everything, you know, you don't do all of your exercise in one week and then like, you know, for the rest of the year, do nothing in the same way as you don't brush your teeth like vigorously once and then don't do it for the rest of the year. So performance management for me is, is a, again, it's another way of doing little and often and, what is expected you know what is expected that was awesome and, and again but i think performance management is in the context is always seen as a negative thing but if you say thank you frequently that is poor performance management because you're reinforcing what good is and then you can address what's not working as well so um i think so much of this you know and speaking out loud of it so much of this is just about this is just people like successful businesses is if you go to any successful business you will find successful people and actually, if you think that way, how can I make my people the most successful that they can be? Because ultimately, their success leads to the business's success. Then it becomes just a very easy, you know, people talk about servant leadership. Actually, if you embody that, you embrace that on a day-to-day basis of, you know, every one-to-one I have with my team, the question, the first question is like, how are you as a person? But the second question is, how can I help you? And that's it. That's all you do as a leader, particularly as the company gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, you're, you know, solving problems and helping people. The end. <laughs> Brilliant. And so, David, do you think that uh, your ability to kind of hire great people 
Uh, and we'll close up now, but I think this is, I mean, we're leading on to something which I think is really lovely. The fact, and I'm, I'm a big believer in this, and my dog is too. Um, <laughs> uh, she's barking away. Um, that, uh, the, the kind of the work that you've put into kind of marketing, influencing, engaging with the outside world, has that really impacted, you think, on having the right people approach the organisation, having the right people want to work with you? But I guess both as a candidate and as a customer, you're not even having to reach out to them because we're like, we know what they stand for. We want to work for them or we want to be their customer. Yeah, definitely. Both on a customer and from a, you know, the the things we do are, are magnetic. They're, they're magnetic to people who want to uh, work with us or work for us. And that's, that's fantastic because, um, you know, we just couldn't compete really. You know, if you kind of think about the structure of um, other organizations, you know, a PwC, a McKinsey, a Deloitte, they've got like 500 partners on like 600,000 pounds a year who job is essentially knocking on doors to ask for work, you know, and, and we just can't compete in that space. Like, and neither would I want to, right? It's like, um, it's like trying to disrupt an industry by being exactly the same as the industry. That just doesn't make any sense. So, so the content for us is, is a way of establishing authenticity, establishing cut through from a brand perspective. Um, and it works great. You know, it, we, we get multi-million pound scopes coming to us to say, hey, this is a thing. And the nice thing is they've already actually sort of qualified themselves into the things that we believe and the way that we work and all the things that happen there. And it happens as well from a, a talent perspective. The, the thing you've got to be careful with um, on both sides, you know, actually, um when on the, the the people side of things and on the talent side of things is um it was easier at the beginning because nobody knew who we were so we sort of earned it and therefore the people coming to you i mean our, our thoughts and our content was like a dog whistle for people who get it right um so the people that kind of come through and then the, the sort of third and fourth run of that is like people who want the success of the people who have done the thing before them. And, and that's where you've got to be a little bit, a little bit careful because um, on the, the, organ, the customer side of things, it's like, hey, I want the success they have. And it's like, okay, but the success they had is because of the work that they did. Um, so you've got to make sure that you start first and foremost with, uh, we are not magicians, we're here to make you work. Um, and on the people side of things, you've got to be really careful because uh like you know moths are attracted to 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 light right you know and uh, and people get attracted to success when your business is scaling and doing those things and you've got to be really careful that you you keep the bar up high on the the people front as you as you scale and you scale because it's it's easy to be like oh my god i need another 50 people and i need to you've got to keep that bar up for talent and customer quality all the way through this because at the end of the day you know your your brand is shaped by the decisions that you make on those things. Yeah, definitely. And therefore, those people are critical because in those points where you may have to wait for talent, those people have to take some of the physical weight of waiting for that talent. And therefore, definitely. if you've not got them right, you've got points that may break um, yeah. in, in that group. Uh, that's amazing. Listen, it's uh, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about this stuff, and, I, and I'll probably be knocking on your door to talk some more. Um, but thank you so much uh, for joining me. Just before we end, what would be kind of your three nuggets? I mean, I could pull them out, but what would be your three nuggets of information if people are thinking around culture, talent, building an incredible scale-up? Um, what would you say they are? Yeah, I mean, talent, talent is is absolutely everything, is first and foremost, right? So you've got to keep reaching for, uh, keep attracting and keep creating talent would be first and foremost. Um, I'd say the, the second one, I mean, uh, running a business and scaling a business, uh, it, it's about understanding pe people kind of, yeah, all, all the things, all those little kind of glib Steve quote, uh, Steve Jobs quotes and like, you know, Elon Musk says this, you don't realize this until you kind of get into a situation where you're like, oh my God, like, you know, that's a cry for help, what they're saying, you know? And actually knowing that when you're the CEO of a hyperscaling business, it's lonely. Like it is lonely, it is hard, and you've got to be really understanding of what you're terrible at 
and then you've got to recruit great people to fill those gaps. And, and actually, like that, that for me is a, a self awareness is a skill set not a lot of people have. But forcing yourself to kind of get into those things to go, yeah, I'm not good at this. I need to hire. I need to bring in somebody who is as weird about the things I love doing as they are about that bit. And if you get that right, then then the world sort of moves forwards. Um, and then the last one, and I sort of touched on it earlier on, is like culture over everything, like culture over culture over revenue, culture over profit, culture over everything, because actually it's the most sustainable advantage that you have uh, as a business is the things that you stand for, because if you don't have that really locked down, then uh, you'll just start getting into a, a spiral of chasing things, chasing revenue, chasing people, chasing promises. So yeah, be clear about what you stand for and uh, very much stick to it. But uh, I'm going to be greedy and, and go with the fourth one because this is probably my my mantra as a person. Um, and the thing that I learned pretty late on in life, and we can go into the story in a, another another day, um, but it's just hard work. Like that that beats everything, you know. And actually, if you if you put in the work, you give yourself an opportunity to have uh, a chance at making it successful. But unless you give it everything, unless you really put the work in, then, uh, and it doesn't work out, then you might regret it. So yeah, do the work. It's as easy as that. Brilliant. And I like the, the you touched on kind of the vulnerability of, um, you know, uh, CEOs, co-founders, leaders of organizations, which I think us as employees, you know, whoever, whoever your employees within an organization, that's actually a nice thing to know for anybody listening to this, that actually don't forget the vulnerability of the people who lead your organizations and therefore the power that you have to help and support them. Um, and so therefore you work hard, you know, that really does achieve incredible things and, and it can add significant value. And I think there's something beautiful in that, definitely. So David, thank you so much for joining me. Serious pleasure. No problem. Thank you very much for having me on again. This episode was brought to you by Zinc, who offer automated reference and background checking tools directly in your ATS. If you enjoyed this episode, please do like, subscribe, leave a comment or share to support the show. Thank you.